great love for you. Uh, So I pray that you will give attention to his word today. 1 Samuel, starting at uh, chapter 1, verse 20. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. The man Elkanah and all of his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh, and the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as long as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray and ask for the Lord to help us understand his word. Pray with me, please. Father, we thank you for giving us this beautiful word today of the fulfillment of your word to Hannah and your promises. Father, I pray that we would be encouraged by this word, whether as new parents or old parents or just individuals who need to be strengthened by your word today. I pray that we would be. And I pray that you would help us to see the glory of Christ, even in this passage, that our hearts might be given over completely to him. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. A few years ago, uh, Paul Tripp uh, wrote an article on New Year's Day, or at least released the article on New Year's Day, uh, encouraging Christians to not make New Year's resolutions. Of course, that's something that many of us do. Uh, We make a New Year's resolution to do some big, great thing during the year. And then you know what happens. You make a resolution. You say, I'm going to lose 50 pounds this year. And you do real great for a day or two, maybe a week, maybe a month. But eventually, you just forget all about it. And then you gain 50 pounds throughout the year. Well, what Paul Tripp says is, well, we don't need to make big resolutions because if we make bigger resolutions, if we set these high goals for ourselves, then we inevitably are going to fail and we're going to feel discouraged by that. Setting large goals for us really doesn't understand and it misses the point of how God has made us and how people actually change, which is uh, another title of a book that Paul Tripp wrote, wrote, How People Change. What Paul Tripp said is, and what we need to do is, and what he encouraged Christians to do is, to wake up every morning and change a thousand tiny things. Because it's in doing a thousand tiny things different that you actually change. It's in the ordinary stuff of life. It's in the everyday, the regular. It's in the mundane stuff 
where God's people actually change to be more like Jesus Christ. And so in that, in that um, article, he said, don't make, don't make one huge resolution. Make a thousand tiny ones. Again, it's in the mundane. It's in the ordinary things. Now, the purpose of this sermon and the purpose that I want you to see here is for Nick and Hannah. And I want them to be encouraged today in the everyday, mundane, ordinary things of life. There's a thousand little things that happen during the day in raising a child where we can get discouraged. And I want them to be encouraged today. But also for us, I want for all of us to be encouraged by an ordinary faith and what ordinary faith does. I want us to see the reward of living a very ordinary faith. So I want to look at this passage in three ways. First of all, I want us to see that ordinary faith recognizes God's sovereignty and hopes in God's goodness. It recognizes God's sovereignty and hopes in God's goodness. So that's the first thing that I want you to see, recognizing God's sovereignty. In order to see that, we need to have a little bit of background uh, I skipped over kind of the main uh, uh, part of chapter 1. And you begin in chapter 1. Uh, this is a corresponding book that goes with the book of Judges. The very end of the book of Judges, it says, When there was no king in the land, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. If I had a title for chapter 1, if I could preach this sermon, the whole sermon, I would call it Big Trouble in Little Shiloh. Because what you see in this town of Shiloh, where the tabernacle of God is, where God's people come, a few of God's people come to make sacrifices, is you have one family and Elkanah, who is trying to be a godly man and make sacrifices in Shiloh. He brings his family. And one of the things that you read in the midst of the spiritual turmoil of Israel, this one man is trying to be faithful. And you read this in verse 1, chapter 1, 1. There was a certain man of Ramaath. Zophim of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, an Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Paniah. And Paniah had children, but Hannah had no children. And then you read that every year he takes his family, he goes to Shiloh, and what happens is he gives a portion of the sacrifice to Paniah, his wife. And all of her many children, because she has lots and lots of children. But then he gives a double portion to Hannah. There's a couple of different things that are happening here. Paniah has lots of children. And in this day and age, she would have been looked upon as the favored woman. Now, we look at a situation like this and you say, wait a second, two wives. How in the world did he manage? And that's a good question. Um, and, And also, but wait a second. We're not supposed to have two wives, and you're absolutely right. The Bible says you, you know, you're supposed to have one wife, but here's an example in a different culture thousands of years ago where a man had two wives, and you might say, well, he can't possibly be a righteous man. Well, the story says otherwise. Um, I think we need to be careful about importing our cultural uh, views back then and the things that were happening there. Uh, and you also need to understand that the way that the Bible talks against Uh, polygamy in marriage is that it actually shows what happens in these marriages. There's a lot of unhappiness, and that's what happens in this marriage. Hannah is actually the favored wife. 
Uh, Elkanah actually says to her, he gives her, well, in the sacrifice, he gives to her a double portion. She has more than Paniah and all of her children. And she's still not happy uh, by it. And it's real funny that um, Elkanah comes to Hannah and he says, you know, aren't I more precious to you than any sons? And of course, that's what a husband would say, right? I, I've got to be much better to you than children. And the point is, no, you're not. She wants children. But the Lord has seen fit to not give her children. Verse 6, her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. Hannah is the favored wife, but she doesn't have the indicator that she is favored by God. Paniah has lots of children, which meant she had lots of status, lots of identity, lots of higher position. And Paniah and her children bully Hannah. Well, what should Hannah do about this situation? Well, what you read about in 1 Samuel, what she does to fix this situation is actually wildly different than anything that you've seen in the scriptures up to this point. And the reason why, and just so you know, this is a situation that happens all the time in the Bible. All the time in the Bible, you have a woman who cannot have children, and then you have the story of what happens and what she tries to do to fix that situation. And you actually have two very important women in the book of Genesis that have this exact situation, Sarah and Rachel. Sarah is, of course, the mother of all of God's people as she's identified in the book of Hebrews. And she was old. She was past the age of being able to have children. And yet God had promised that she was going to have children. And she's looking around at her situation and she's saying, there's no way I'm having children now. So she invents a way to have children. She gives her maidservant to her husband, Abraham. And he gladly obliges. Okay. Creates a lot of problems. They have a children. They have a child from that union, uh, Ishmael, and he is the father of all of the Arabs. We're still dealing with the consequences of Sarah's decision and Abraham's decisions thousands of years later. She was not faithful in that moment, and yet God was gracious to her because later, even in her advanced age, she was able to have a child. She was able to have Isaac. So you see that example, what she did, she took matters in her own hand. Well, two generations later, you have Rachel, Jacob's wife, the preferred wife of Jacob. She cannot have any children, but uh, her sister, who happens to also be Jacob's wife, is having lots of children. And so what does Rachel do? She takes matters in her own hands. She gives her maidservant to her husband as well, and they have children, and it creates all sorts of problems in the family. But God is still gracious to that family because he promised to be gracious to them. In both of those situations, you have these matriarchs of the faith. You have these women that are held up and lauded as as, uh, faithful women in the scriptures. And yet they're unfaithful in those moments. And God is the reason why they're called faithful is because God is gracious to them. And he brings about in their decisions and the things that they do the very people of God, the Hebrew people. But what does Hannah do? Hannah does not take matters into her own hands. She doesn't look around and say, I need to do something to fix the mistake that God has made. What she says is, I'm going to go to the Lord and I'm going to pray. 
So she goes to the tent of meeting, and before the tent, she prays. And Eli, the high priest, comes out, and he thinks she's drunk because she's babbling to herself. She says, I'm not drunk. I've come here to pray to the Lord. I want a child. And Eli says, go home. May the Lord grant your petition. She goes and she simply prays to the Lord. And then what happens? Verse 20, and in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son and she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. She recognizes the sovereignty of God. Why could she not have children that entire time before? Because that was part of God's plan. And then why could she have Samuel when she did? Because it was part of God's plan. There's a lot to be said there in verse 20. And in due time. And at the right time. And at the time when God wanted it to happen. It happened. And those two little words, in or three words, in due time. You learn a lot about the plan of God and what God is doing in the world. And that's especially hard for families to hear as families deal with things like infertility and miscarriages and the pain that comes along with rearing children and the worry and the anxiety. And you say, what is God doing through all of this? And here Hannah prayed and in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. Well, this morning, are you in difficult circumstances? Hannah was in difficult circumstances. What do you do in those difficult circumstances? Do you try to improve your circumstances? Do you try to do something to make everything better? Or do you pray to the Lord? I think it's fascinating here that thousands of years ago, you have an example of bullying in the Bible. Schools who spend lots of money all, uh, all the time dealing with bullying. You know, kids are bullied. And bullying takes lots of different forms today. It's in person and online. And it's terrible. Kids, maybe you're in a situation where you are being bullied. What do you do with that? Take it to the Lord. You know, it's, adults get bullied as well. A lot of times in our day and age, bullying doesn't look like what it did whenever we were kids. As a matter of fact, what I see in my life more than anything is that I'm the biggest bully to myself. Because when I lay down at night, I can't sleep oftentimes. And what I have is the bully in my head saying, Kelly, you're no good. Kelly, you can't do the things that you profess to be able to do. You, you can't live up to the standard that you have set. I can't believe you're a preacher. I'm my biggest bully. What do I do with that? Where do I take my problems, my concerns? Where do I take my bully? Hannah went to the Lord. Where do we go whenever we're in hard circumstances? Because God is sovereign over your circumstance today. And in His goodness, He is working everything out for the good of His people and for His glory. First thing that you see is, that Hannah, or ordinary faith, recognizes God's sovereignty and hopes in God's goodness. The second thing you see is that ordinary faith revels, revels in and returns the blessing to God. It revels in the blessing and returns the blessing. So something happens. Hannah has promised to give this child to the Lord. That's a big promise. And then she has a child 
And then it comes time for Elkanah to take his family up to the temple. And all of a sudden, you read this. Well, let's read verse 21. The man Elkanah and his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him. Maybe if you're like me, you think to yourself, yeah, right. I mean, you've made this big promise and now your son is here and you're going to do what we typically do when we make big promises to the Lord. You're not going to fulfill that promise. It's too big of a promise that she made. Maybe you said something like this in the past. As soon as blank happens, Lord, then I will devote my life to you. And then what happens? It happens and you don't devote your life to the Lord. Maybe you're in that position today. But the question is, is Hannah really going back on her promise? I think not because of what she says to Elkanah and the rest of that. She says, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that first he may appear in the presence of the Lord. And two, that he may dwell there forever. Because this reveals Hannah's heart to you. She has a plan. She has devoted her son to the Lord. So what does she do? She understands that if she takes a baby and delivers him to Eli and his two wicked sons, Hophni and Phinehas, that's part of the story you haven't heard yet, but his sons, the men that are in line to be the high priests, the rulers of Israel, are wicked, terrible people. And she understands that if she brings her son there, there's a good chance that apart from divine intervention, of course that he will be wicked just like Hophni and Phinehas. So she holds him back until the time that he's weaned. In this day, women would wean their children between the age of three and five. And at the time of weaning, there would be a great celebration because the child survived infancy. The child survives infancy. And what does Hannah do? She takes time to enjoy the presence of her baby. God has given a great blessing and she enjoys it for three to five years. But Hannah also understands her responsibility because in this time, you get to see little glimpses of this and you see it at the very end of what we just read in in chapter 1 that she was preparing Samuel for the work that he was going to be called to do. Even at his young age, the age between zero and three, She was preparing Samuel for work in the tabernacle. So what did she do? She told him about the Lord. She taught him about what it meant to serve in the tabernacle, to be in the presence of God. Our children need to learn to breathe in the environment of God's grace. And that's what Hannah did. Hannah made her home so that that every breath that Samuel took, he breathed in the grace of God, the goodness of God, the favor of God to Hannah and to her family. Our children need to learn to breathe in that environment. We need to, as parents, as grandparents, as covenant parents, as covenant grandparents, as friends and family members of people with children to help create the environment of God's grace. So that our little children are so used to breathing in the grace of God that as they grow, as they get older, as they go out into the world, 
They are suffocating because they see that there is no grace in the world and they long for and desire to breathe the grace of God in the midst of God's people. That's what Hannah did. By returning Samuel to the Lord as somebody who understood the goodness of God. You know, he probably understood the story of where he came from and what happened. Hannah probably told him, I had no children and then God gave you to me. You were given to me by God. Because God is good. Because God is gracious. That doesn't mean that you take your children, that you force them to sit down and to listen to hours and hours of sermons and lectures on theology and on all the things in the church. It's not what we're saying. We're not saying that you have to force these things. It's saying in the everyday stuff of life that you are creating the environment of God's grace. So how do you do it? This is important for all of us. Whether you have children or not, whether you aren't going to have children for years and years and years, this is important. Here's how you create the environment of God's grace. You need to slow down. I'll give you an example of it. So Tuesday night, Alexander had his last baseball game of the year. We weren't sure it was going to happen because storm clouds were rolling in as it was taking place. Um, And it was right about the time that Alexander was going up to bat. Uh, Actually, it was... uh, the inning hasn't, hadn't switched over yet, and one little boy was out uh, in the field. They were playing in the field, um, and they looked behind them, and there was this rainbow. It had started misting, and there was this huge rainbow. Amy posted a video of it online, and you can see the rainbow behind uh, or in front of Alexander when he's batting, and it was there. Well, what did the kids do? The kids, whoa, look at the rainbow. Wow, look at that. Look at that. Amazing. And as they were coming off the field after the inning was over, All the kids were looking at the rainbow. They were looking up. Wow, look at that. And one of the boys looked at the rainbow and he just stopped and he looked. Nothing else mattered for the moment. He just looked. Alexander's coach was walking by and he said, Coach, look, look at the rainbow. You know what the coach said? Get your head in the game, son. That's not what he said. That's not what he said. Don't worry. He said, he turned around, he looked at the rainbow. He said, wow, isn't God good? Isn't he good to show us that? Everything else, the baseball game, nothing else mattered in that moment. What mattered was for the coach to say to this little boy, God is good. That's what it looks like. That's what it means to slow down, to let your children or other people's children breathe in the environment of God's grace. You see, what the coach did was he didn't take his focus off the important stuff of the game. He put his focus on the important stuff of the grace of God and on the goodness of God. That's how you do it. Second thing that you see there again, that ordinary faith revels in and returns the blessings to God. Well, the last thing is that ordinary faith relies on God's goodness. Relies on God's goodness. In verse 27, here's what you see. That Hannah fulfills her commitment. For, um, in verse 27, For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. Hannah makes two great sacrifices 
in this moment. The one sacrifice is she sacrifices the bull and the flower and all that stuff. Now, I don't have time to go into it. This is a massive sacrifice. This is not the sacrifice that is required for the birth of your firstborn son. She goes over and above in sacrificing to say, look at how good God is. And that was one sacrifice. But she made a much bigger sacrifice. She gave her son to the Lord. Now, we talk about that in metaphorical terms oftentimes. We talked about that with Margot today, metaphorically. Give your child to the, to the Lord. She literally said, Lord, you take him. So here's a boy at three years old, and she is going and saying, he belongs to the Lord. Lord, you take him and you use him however you want. Again, Eli's sons were wicked. She had to trust that the Lord would preserve Samuel in the midst of, of wickedness. You know, I have this huge problem because I tend to think that I can protect my children from the things of the world. And that is a problem. When I'm out in public with my children, I, I see them out playing. You know, I always kind of have to have an eye on them at all times. And I, if for like 30 seconds I don't have an eye on them, I start getting real nervous. And then I have to go find them. And I have to go look and see what they're, make sure. And you think, well, that's, that's just being a good parent. There's a fine line between good, being a good parent and being an unfaithful parent. Because what I'm doing oftentimes in that moment, I'm putting myself in the place of God and I'm saying, I can protect my children at all times. Now, yes, we should protect our children. Yes, we should care for our children. But it's a matter of the heart because the reality is, is that we can't. Because our children are not our children. They belong to the Lord. We are to give our kids to God. Because here's the reality. God cares for Alexander and Rosie way more than I ever will. God cares for Margot way more than Nick and Hannah ever will. God cares for our kids. God cares for our families more than we can. Here, Hannah is being faithful because she knows that God is God. That come what may, come, that God will take care of Samuel. That means, yes, even sometimes bad things are going to happen. But that doesn't change the goodness of God to him. So that means with your children, what should you do? Give your children to God. Give them to the Lord. Now, don't drop them off here at the church tomorrow morning, please. <laughs> But in your heart, say, say to God, God, these are your children. Take them, use them, guide them, protect them, and help me trust you. Trust you in your goodness with my children. Here's the great thing about ordinary faith in conclusion. Ordinary faith gets less of the things of the world, but it gets more of the things of God. Ordinary faith gives so much of the world away that it gets all of God in return. And it's an amazing thing. Ordinary faith gets to see extraordinary things. You know what happens to Samuel? This little boy that she leaves at the tabernacle at three years old grows up to be a king of Israel. Now they call him a judge, but that's what they were. He was a king over Israel. Ordinary faith gets to see amazing things. And you know what Samuel did? Samuel actually anointed the true king, the better king, King David. Ordinary faith sees extraordinary things. 
In our ordinary faith, moms, dads, your ordinary faith today prepares the world for the true king to return. Jesus Christ is coming back. And what you do in your families today prepares the world to see Jesus Christ, to behold Jesus Christ in his glory. That's what ordinary faith does. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us this word today. We pray that, I pray that you would help all of us to have an ordinary faith that clings to the promises of God, that clings to the work of Jesus Christ through the Spirit, that helps us see His glory in everything. Pray that you would help us breathe in the environment of God's grace and that our children would breathe that in, that they would learn to live on that. Father, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to close by singing our final hymn. It is well with my soul.